and welcome to episode 47 of the Triathlon Age Group Journey. I'm Matt Summer, one of your hosts, and with me as always are my co-hosts Jay Kinney and Jillian Carlson. We're all age group triathletes, working professional, and parents just trying to balance work, life, and training. Today, on episode 47, we have with us Mike Gastineau. Mike had a challenge put in front of him to accomplish six 70.3 triathlons by the age of 60. There's a lot more behind that story, and we can't wait to unpack it with you. But before we get going, Jay, Jillian, how you guys doing? Um, Let's see. We recorded last week on, like I think, a Thursday or Friday. So it's been, a, um, if I think about what's happened since the last time we talked, it's been a pretty crazy week for myself. We did a volleyball tournament up in, or down, I guess, from here in Eugene, Oregon, and thought it would be really fun to get this cute, it's called a tree house, and it's got two levels to it with a great view of the city and, you know, U of O down there in Eugene, and um, didn't realize until the days leading in that an ice storm was coming in, and so the whole area got hit pretty hard with an ice storm. We got in Friday night. It wasn't supposed to hit till that night. So we got in in the evening, unpacked the car, um, realized that we're, there are some pretty short, punchy hills to get up to the house that was like nestled in the hillside. And I remember thinking how, what are we going to do in the morning if, you know, how am I going to get down these hills in the snow? I do have chains and I have four wheel drive and whatnot. But, um, and of course my 13 year old son's like, mom, why don't we just park the car at the bottom of the hill? And I, Okay, brilliant. I don't know how I didn't think of that. So Friday night, ended up parking the car just at the bottom of the hill just to be safe. Sometimes the storms in the Pacific Northwest are overrated, but no, the snow sure enough did come and I was very grateful. The car was parked at the bottom of the hill. So we had to hike. It was just under half a mile, like 0.4 miles to the car, out of the house, down to go play a round of volleyball. And this is a new team for my daughter and I will say really fun to watch. It's their first games together, but having a lot of fun with it. Great group of girls, great coaches as well. Definitely was fun. Came back to the house and then we were told that the actual ice was supposed to come the next night. And that did happen as well as predicted. And um, so much so that even when you looked out, you just looked like snow. Like it really didn't look that bad or, you know, maybe a little bit slippery, but it's really not that bad. And then my son uh, stepped out just hanging around while I was drinking coffee, enjoying the snow day. They canceled the tournament because of the ice. And so we were just taking kind of a lazy Sunday before we'd pack up and head home early. And um, he had slipped down the hill at the base of the house down to the cross street and could not get back up. And I thought he was just overreacting, wanting, wanting to get me outside or something. And so I went out to go rescue him because I thought for sure he'd be fine. And sure enough, I slip and I slide right on down that street, down to the cross street. And I was just like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, Jaden, how are we supposed to get back up? And we're literally scaling frozen bushes and branches because it was even the like frozen dirt where the bark was. And I'm like pulling up by branches and they're like breaking off because everything was frozen. And I'm just like, how are we going to get out of this house? How are we going to get our stuff out? And so I was like, well, I can get to the car. I got really, I had like an adventure. It was an adventure. Sorry, <laughs> this sounds like one. For days, but um, was determined to get to REI to go buy some crampons, even though it was an hour and 45 minutes away because the REI in town was closed because of the ice. Oh my gosh. 
But I knew if I could get to my car, it was flat and I could put chains on and be just fine. It was just how to get to the car. And well, I know I can slide down the hill, so I'll just be prepared. Found some garden stakes, used them as snow poles, and then told the kids I'll be back in four hours, (laughs) Um, hopefully with a way to get out of here. Just because I knew the weather wasn't changing between Sunday and Monday, we needed to get home. Anyhow, then found a woman walking around with little spikes on her feet and begged if I could borrow them. She was so kind, let me use them. So I spent, was it two hours loading the car myself because there was no way I didn't have another pair of little spikies. Talk about uh, regretting not packing light. I had my kicker. I had my bike. I had my son brought his gaming console and screen. And so, I mean, I complain about carrying my kicker up the, what, 20 steps in my house when I go upstairs. And here I am having to pack it through snow and ice and haul it like, you know, just under a half, just under a half a mile. And I was just like, and even the treehouse was like 40 stairs just to get up to the house. And so hauling it back down, I remember thinking, this is so freaking hard. And then it was like, you know, the weather's like, and I had a funny story. I was thinking, it was like, well, you thought that's hard here. Hold my beer or something. Cause I'm going to give you a challenge that <laughs> doesn't even compare to that. So made it, made it to the car, um, was exhausted, was worried about how I was going to miss my, my run for that day. But I figured four miles of packing stuff solo. Um, I, my, I had muscles. I was sore for days. They were, uh, thoroughly shaking at the end of it. So I figured that was a pretty good workout. You got it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Outside of that work's been crazy hard to get other workouts in, but I'm just fighting to squeeze in whatever I can, whenever I can. I'm hoping that I'm coming up on the light at the end of this, uh, busy season tunnel for me. So yeah. Anyhow, busy week, fun week. Jay, how about you? Well, your ice storm, I think, became our snowstorm of the year from the West Coast to the East Coast. So we're making yeah. up for lost time with no snow the, in almost two years. So uh, we've had a snowstorm last weekend, and then we had one Friday this past. And it's been nice, I'll be honest. I hate it when it's super cold with no snow. So it's nice that when it's super cold, there's plenty of snow to look at and make things beautiful. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, full week of training, feeling like I'm back into a routine and the pool was cold. The HVAC and the heater went down. So they finally closed the pool as it got down to below 70 degrees. We were told that the pool heater is working, but the HVAC in the pool is not working. So it'll be interesting tomorrow to go and see how cold it is. But I'm going to give it a shot. And then... uh, I'm cleaning out the pain cave. You guys remember I talked about how many saddles I had and um, I've got about, I don't know, 50 things listed on Facebook marketplace and slow twitch is classified. (laughs) I've got my old um, 2012 speed concept on the market and uh, something I've kept in the basement. It's in really good shape. It's got a lot of life for being 12 years old. I'd held on to it in case I ever needed a backup TT bike, but I think it's time. So I've got that up there and it's a great first tri bike for somebody, or if somebody's looking for a frame that's still fast, it is a, definitely a, a very fast frame and super easy to work on and can upgrade it to today's technology very easily. So hit me up. I'm trying to sell it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, things have been going pretty well. 
How about you, Matt? It's it's funny you say that. I actually just unloaded to a great guy, some uh, local guy here in Burlington, my uh, 2018 Canyon Speedmax, which was a CFSLX kind of top of the line one back then, Ultegra DI2, still rim brake, ton of life left in it. I got a great deal on my Argon last year and I made the move. And yeah, so it's interesting that you said that because I was finally able to uh, sell that this past week. It's just been sitting in my garage and, you know, I just did a bundle deal. I mean, it had Vector 3 pedals on it. I know people listening probably right now are like, I never posted it. I never put it for sale. It's just kind of casually through conversation, but I included so much stuff because it's 11 speed and I'm now on 12 speed. So I had cassettes, I had tires, I had tubes. I mean, I was like, listen, it's just sitting here. I'm not making anything. Just I threw it all in one bundle deal. Definitely under market value. It was just one of those things where I was happy to pass it along to somebody that could give it the love it deserved. So uh, excited to see him on this bike. Actually, one of my local athletes around here. Uh, so it's going to be cool. Hopefully, I don't coach him well enough that he can beat me, though. That's kind of what I'm a little worried about here. <laughs> anyway, now nah, it's been a good week. Just quiet. Fitness industry is just popping I mean, I start at 5.30 in the morning with clients and I'm straight through till 12. I think last week I had 83 training sessions on the books and then uh, obviously coach calls throughout the day. So I'm living by the half hour every 30 minutes. It's a different person, different personality. So uh, trying to keep the energy and using my training as an opportunity for stress release. So uh had assessments last week. They were good. Great, great example of how, uh, you know, I can be undisciplined as well. I went a little too hard too early on the FTP and lost a couple watts. Not much. Like it was like four or five. So nothing significant. Definitely not indicative of not training. It was just I, I swung too early and uh, yeah, kind of held on for dear life. Stayed even Steven in the pool, which I felt good about. Definitely. I got to learn to push. I got to learn to get uncomfortable in the water. I like oxygen too much. I've always said that. I love my air. And, uh, you know, I'm getting done the 400 and the 200 now, and I'm not gassed. Like, I don't want to get to that gas point, but definitely not as fatigued. Uh, It's definitely coming around, definitely holding faster paces for longer, much more comfortable. And, you know, if that translates to racing, I don't care how fast my 400 is, you know what I mean? Or my 200, if I can hold that pace longer, more comfortably, that should translate well. So anyway, other than that, not a whole lot going on, just kind of getting ready for the next week ahead, looking at it, see a lot of names on my training list for the week and just excited to keep people moving. I love that part of my job, helping people, helping them find better versions of themselves and thrive. And it's just exciting. So, you know, that's a, that's a big piece of me right now. I'm a giver and I love seeing people succeed. And right now it's kind of, you know, what's that saying? If you, whatever your gift is or your passion, make it your gift and give it away. And you know, that's this time of year is just so much fun getting people that come in that think they can't do something. And we always throw that word yet in there and um, you can't do it yet. And uh, just getting them to kind of commit and be disciplined and just head down and just keep working towards their goals. So ah, just, I love it. I love it. So what do you guys say we jump in? I, uh, you know, it's been a good week of quotes. I really had some good ones this week, but I think, uh, you know, I definitely found one that I think kind of resonated quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I think it's fitting for the new year if, uh, if you guys are ready. All right. Go for it. So this wait, week's wait. quote of the week. I'm not, hang on. I'm not ready. Okay. Now I'm ready. Now you're Is ready. It a awesome. Quote? <laughs> 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 no. All right. So here we go. 
If the plan doesn't work, change the plan, but never the goal. I think the most important thing to remember is don't give up on your goals. If plan A doesn't work, there's plan B, there's plan C, there's plan D. Stay committed, stay focused, stay disciplined, go about it a different way. Just modify your approach, change the way you address it, but don't give up on that goal. There's no such thing as a goal too big, and I tell people that all the time. We just got to change our approach and change our manner in which we go after it. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's good. I think I'm on plan D or E <laughs> right now for this year. <laughs> okay. I had I had really big goals for this year with some fun, exciting races. and hey, Jillian, real quick, you're 21 days in. You got 340 yeah. Four left. <laughs> Where's there's more control in the past 21 or the 344 ahead of you? 344 only works if my goal is to be achieved in 344 <laughs> days, but my goals were supposed to be achieved much earlier. So that's and so in 21 days, you were supposed B to achieve goals to by now? There. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Interesting. No, 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 no. No, you have to set markers on the way to your goals, right? So you need steps to get to your goals. So it's mm -hmm. not about achieving my goal today. It's what are the steps you need to do to achieve your goals. And I have fallen down a few steps. And so I just need to climb back up. Like I said, I am didn't say I was giving up on that goal. I'm just on plan D as to how I'm going to get there. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Yes. All so. right. There we go. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... I got to throw this back to last week, Jillian, with your comments about the quote last week about taking them too far. This one could have some serious pitfalls if you took this one too far. And I think a coach is a big part of helping the plan change. Or, you know, if you're on D and E, <laughs> maybe somebody just checking in and saying, all right, objectively, how are we looking? Is this possible? Maybe the goal does need to change sometimes. Well, I get the point. Don't give up too soon is kind of the other point right. of this quote. So it's definitely one of those to take with caution, but think it through. Use your your support team to, to test you and check in on that goal and make sure you don't need to adjust. Mike, what do you think about that one? So far, I got two big naysayers on this one so far. <laughs> well, you know... <clears throat> I'll jump on the other side of that because that's probably the right thing to do. You know, I look at my year this past year and that that quote fits me really well because when you're going to try and do a bunch of races back to back to back, what you've never done before, you can write a plan, but you know it's going to change. There's so many variables that go into our season, our lives and our body and how we train and you talk about swimming mat and everything else. Change is just part of triathlon. It's triathlon spelled backwards is really change because we have to adapt. We've got to be ready for that change because it's just part of the sport and you've got to be ready for it. You've got to listen to your body and we get into this later if you want, but change is just part of the sport. It's a big puzzle the way I tell people all the time. It's like you're trying to put another puzzle piece in the puzzle of triathlon and change is part of looking at the picture differently. So I love, love the quote because I think it embodies my season this year. So my goal did not change, but my plans clearly changed as the year went on. Yeah, I don't know if you just came up with that on your own, Mike, or if you had that from somewhere else, but I'm definitely going to use that. That uh, triathlon spelled backward is change. I like that. I'm definitely going to utilize that with future athletes and with myself at some point. So thank you. That's a good one. Definitely going yeah. in the show notes for sure. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. a good one. 
Well, everybody, you heard Mike there, and we're really excited to have him here. Mike's been in the sport since 1985. It's been quite a run and and quite a history. What piqued our interest, and we definitely will get to it, is his 670.3s last year. He alluded to that there just now, and um, something we want to hit on, as well as the next generation of triathletes that Mike is inspiring. So totally, totally excited to talk to you, Mike, and, and kind of unpack the, your journey. But definitely 1985, you've seen this sport grow and change and morph. And tell us about that a little bit. How did you get going in, in triathlon? Yeah. So how could you not watch the uh, wild world of sports back in the 80s, <clears throat> sit there on a trainer and spin it, just be in awe of what these people are doing, you know? And when I was doing that, I was probably about 30 pounds heavier than I am now because I really enjoyed back at Ball State University, a big 16-inch pizza and a quart of Coke on a regular basis. So it was not the best training diet because I don't think the nutrition had really caught up to the athletes at that point. So I was busy gaining weight, realizing if I was going to graduate and actually get a job at some point, I had to fit in a suit. So uh, friends of mine encouraged me to get back in shape as we had a a bike race at uh, Ball State for a for a bike-a-thon. And so I started to finally shed the weight, get on the bike. Uh, you know, Ironman came along. I was a runner back in high school. Um, got dared from a friend of mine. Dan said, hey, uh, he's a swimmer. He's like, hey, let's get in the pool. I'll teach you how to swim. Like, hey, I can't swim. I'm, I'm going to drown, dude. <laughs> I, I'm a mess. Of course, my dad was a swimmer back at uh, Indiana University. He was an All-American swimmer. So I think it was in my blood. <clears throat> but um, Dan taught me how to swim. And he said, hey, why don't you go do a triathlon? So in 85, that spring, I started doing some triathlons for fun just to see what I could do and get caught up with the whole Ironman story. It's like, oh, man, this could be my sport. I really like this. It's fun. It's challenging. There's always something to learn and grow with. Uh, and it kind of excelled me out of that kind of stuck phase I was in in college into this new phase of my life in 85, where I started doing triathlons and uh, ended up doing the Muncie Endurathon uh, that September in 1985 for my first uh, first big race. The Endurathon, that, that piqued my interest. What, was it actually a triathlon? And what were the distances? Because that sounds like it was a unique event with that name. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Oh, you haven't? Okay. So... Yeah, it was one of the first ones started. I think it started in 1980 uh, with with a few folks, and now it's coming across almost its 38th or 39th year. Ironman now runs it out of Muncie. I actually have the original application. I was digging through myself today just for fun. $30 to enter the race. Oh, my gosh. Okay? Oh, wow. And it was your true 70.3, 1.2-mile, 56-mile bike and a 13-mile marathon late uh, in early September when it was hot as heck here in, in Indiana. Um, and so it was funny cause I have the application, the fact that I kept it, I don't know why, but it was 30 bucks to enter the thing, which is quite shocking when you look, go back and look at the paper application that you had to send in and uh, to mail in, yeah. nothing was online back then. Right. Right. Well, how did uh-huh. you even get a paper application? Did you have to mail to mail them or call them to get them to mail it to you? <laughs> yeah. You probably went to a bike shop or something yeah. where they had it there and you just picked it up off yeah. the, you know, the rack and you heard about it. You had to go to the bike shop and, you know, get it and mail it in and, you know, get in the race and that's how it was back then you know and that's crazy so was, 30 well, bucks 30 dollars yeah. and now we're up to what 450 500 yeah yeah i think I'll, so I'll, I'll send it over to you maybe later if you want to post it in the show notes for fun <laughs> um yeah but yeah it was it was it was just like a few hundred people out there uh in the heat of uh 
you know, middle of America, we're all going to do a 70.3. And back then, you know, there were no wetsuits. There was no Garmin. You know, you might have had some clip-in shoes, but you had an Ironman watch because that was kind of the cool watch to have all of a sudden in 1985 because that was now being marketed. And, you know, you're, you're swimming in your Speedo and you got your goggles and you, know, you put some running pants on and you're trying to bike in running pants and a tank top and out there just getting fried like an egg on the side of the side of the road doing this thing you have no idea what you're doing for nutrition you're just trying to survive and that's really what that first one was all about okay so endurathon was kind of the first way to name a 70.3 before it kind of took over the name of either half iron man or 70.3 yeah okay Okay. true yep yeah crazy so you get done that race you got the bug i mean are there more races around or what was the next step from this endurathon or were you were you done and just like oh my god i'm crazy never again or were you hooked no clearly hooked are you kidding me this has been an awesome journey for me i love it so yeah i was hooked and kept racing after that we had the bud light triathlon series if that rings a bell back then it was kind of a a circuit they had one here in indianapolis and i'd go to atlanta and miami and other places in tampa and you were doing the circuit back then and that was kind of fun so i really liked the olympics back then because you could still kind of hammer away you didn't have to worry about cruising as much and you could just you know go get go get it uh really love love that circuit so yeah i had the bug uh until probably 1990 uh, and then, um, you know, life changed. My dad passed away in 87. That kind of rocked my world a little bit. So I was dealing with some of those personal issues there and got married and kids came along. And then finally back, I think about 2004 or five, I jumped back into sport, um, and haven't looked back really since. Wow. Wow. Can I ask you, I mean, obviously longevity is all over your journey here. And I don't know that that's necessarily a topic we've talked a lot about, but, what has been your secret to be able to continue doing the sport for so long? Tell us a little bit about what the recipe is. Oh, the secret. It's probably, um, Matt, what'd you say? Make a plan, be able to change the plan, but don't sit, change your goal. That's the recipe for success, right? Love the sport, which has been a blessing to me and my family and my community and people around me. Um, so it's been a blessing. So just to enjoy it and have a positive attitude and have a community you can do it with. That's a lot of the longevity when you can come along and have lifelong friends and you, you know this and you're enjoying the journey. You know, some years are good. Some years are not so good. Some years, you know, I get a running injury and I got to work through that. Or I had a bike wreck in 19 and and my PCL was messed up and they told me I can never run again. Right. So you work through stuff. Right. The life throws curves at you, but you just keep getting it. So my secret for success is really just the love for the sport. What it's done for me. Uh, my, my kids were in it for a while, which was great. Um, so. The secret of success is you got to love it and you enjoy getting up and training. You know, it's you have those goals for yourself that are bigger than life and you want to do something right. You want to motivate yourself. And, you know, as I get older, I love competing. I still love competing. I love beating people that are younger than me and, you know, talking to them on the run. Like, you're, you're really going to let me beat you today, are you? Come on. <laughs> you're not going to let me beat you today. Let's go. That's great. You know, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, you got yeah. I mean, the, the sport is hard. Training is hard. But if you don't have the balance in there you're going to drop out and say, this isn't much fun. Yeah. You've got to have fun with this thing, right? So to me, my secret success was just the fun that I've had over the years. Um, and we have a great triathlon community here in Indiana. It's phenomenal. We have a lot of races, a lot of coaches. Um, you've had Amanda Allman on recently. We just have a great community of triathletes. That makes it fun. I'm st- stand corrected that um, I think we have talked about this because there's a little flavor of gratitude in that answer. And that's probably one of the themes we constantly talk about. So. 
Yeah, well said. One of the things you just mentioned there, uh, Mike, is just your community. And if I'm not mistaken, you're part of the Tri-Loco community. That's your club group, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Cool. And that's um, how big is that club? If I'm not, I'm pretty sure I know some people. I think there's Tri-Loco down in Louisville, Kentucky as well. And then there's also an extension into Indiana. Yeah, I think we're up to about 500 people now yeah. and, and athletes in, in, in both together. Um, and we get together for different races, and it's quite the event to have everybody together and share with each other and encourage each other. And a lot of times going through the finish line, we'll make like the little little pyramid, the little people to run through, if you will, to the finish line and, and uh, celebrating first and the last. So what's great about the club is everybody's treated the same and encouraged and coached and mentored and um you know, if they have disabilities, great. We're there on their team. So again, it's that culture that makes it fun. Why wouldn't you want to be part of a great team like that um, where you share in each other's success and failures and pick each other up when you're down, you know? Um, right. I know one of my f- former athletes I used to coach, Steph Gardner, I think is part of the Triloco Indiana group. So if I'm not mistaken. so Sure cool. is. Yeah. Her, her son, Tyler, actually yeah. races some of the kids' races. So yeah. I'm on the Try for Kids board for a local six-series triathlon race for kids. And uh, Tyler was out last year getting at it. So it's good to see the next generation doing it. Awesome. So when you got back into the sport in 2004, I think you said, was that just on your own whim or how, what made you decide to come back to it? And were you part of Triloco back then? Was it even around or did you have like you know, a couple buddies or, uh, you know, other partner in crime that brought you back into the sport. Yeah. What really brought me back into the sport was family. There was no triloco back then. Uh, it was family because my, my boys started to run. They started to swim. Carmel here where I live has a phenomenal swim program. Um, great culture of athletics. So they were getting involved in some things. They had a local sprint triathlon as part of the swim program. So that kind of got us back in as a family. The boys wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. So we kind of a family affair thing that started uh, with the boys. So they kind of dragged me back into it. And, um, you know, that became something with the boys to do together as father and sons, you know. And we were traveling, doing the junior and youth elite kind of stuff for a while around the country because they wanted to do that series. And that was fun. So it became yeah. a family thing that really brought us back to by me in the sport and the boys in the sport. So it was fun. That's awesome. So uh, stepping back, you talked about your father passing away, and I know that kind of was a big moment for you. I think, uh, you know, a little bit of the backstory I know is that he passed away at age 60. Last year, you turned 60. And uh, kind of as a segue into your six for 60 challenge, let's just unpack that. Let's jump right into that, what that looked like last year, and to share with our listeners a little bit of the motivation for you to take that challenge on and kind of grab the bull by the horns and go after it. Sure. So after uh, Michigan 70.3 in 2002, we're sitting around afterwards having a beverage by the fire, just kind of reminiscing and talking about what are we going to do next year, right? What are your goals going to be? And hey, Mike, you're going to turn 60 next year. You should do something special for that birthday. What are you going to do? I'm like, well, you know, I think there's a race on my birthday. Maybe I'll do that one. And we could do Michigan again. Yeah, maybe. Before you know, we're adding up all these races I want to do. It's like, well, you should do like six to be 60. That would be like a really cool thing. Like, you know, James Lawrence, when he did all his 50 for 50s, you could do like a mini version of that. It'd be really cool. And before you know it, the inspiration was there, um, sat on it. And I said, absolutely, I want to I do this because it's, it's, to your point, Matt, when my dad passed in 1987, I was two years into Ironman tracing, training and racing and stuff, which, by the way, he thought I was nuts when he'd come to my race. He goes, 
why can't you just swim? I was a swimmer. <laughs> why do you have to go run a bike? Just be happy just being a, a, a runner, whatever. You don't do all three. <laughs> um, but he was a big fan. But when, when dad passed, it was really hard on me. But I thought, what a great opportunity to do a couple of things this past year. One was to challenge myself to do something that I didn't know if I could do or not physically at age 60. When you hit these you know, uh, decades in our lives, it's like you, tend, you look back and say, you know, what can I do? Who am I? Um, what's possible? Now I'm going to honor my dad. You know, my dad was a huge part of my life growing up. Uh, when I was born, I was born pigeon-toed. And the doctor said I could never run or walk very well. And I was made fun of a lot in elementary school. And dad was on a mission to find a, a solution for me, which was basically wearing wingtip shoes, springs in my pants, and over time it would make my feet grow out. And gosh, it sounds like a lot of fun. Doesn't it when you're in elementary school to going to school every day with those on? Um, I was bullied, made fun of, and dad's like, don't you ever listen to them. They are not going to define you. You're going to be who you want to be. Um, and nobody tell you you can't do something. So dad instilled in me that that idea that anything is possible. If I can use the Ironman term, don't let me tell you people you can't do something. Um, and that's kind of propelled me through my life. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to honor my dad this past year is because I wouldn't be doing these if it wasn't for him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. So. You know, I actually was, um, when I was born, I was pigeon-toed and I had to wear special booties with a bar between them. I still kind of, um, my legs like to revert back in. So that's why I tend to have hip flexor issues as well. And, um, actually when I was running the hundred in high school, because I can pigeon-toe if I, you know, when I'm running too fast, I actually tripped over my own feet and ate it in front of all oh. the senior boys. I was so embarrassed, oh. but yeah, anyhow. I, I at least, you know, the booties helped, I think, when I was a, a toddler to straighten out. So I didn't have to go through the, the teasing that you went to. So I'm sorry you had to endure that. But I think it's probably one of those things that made you made you stronger. Sure did. Sure did. And, and at the same time, it motivated me last year. You know, once you kind of put this out there, so, you know, I'm going to do this and you write a plan, uh, which, of course, as we know, after this episode, the plans change, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, yep. How do you really think about doing six races and training up for it and then doing another race and another race three weeks later? Um, there's not really a book for that. I had some really good coach friends that kind of walked me through it. We wrote some plans and tried to figure it out. But it was kind of like, hey, this is a fun experiment. Let's see what happens. <laughs> you know, Can your body race hard one week and then recover in two weeks and do it again and do it again? I've never done it before. I've always done a couple for fun this summer. But I had no idea what I was getting into. Uh, maybe I thought I was naive. My friends thought I was crazy, but they were willing to support me um, and give me advice and help me out. But I mean, it was like one of those missions that you don't know what's going to happen. I could have failed miserably. I could have got injured. I could have done all kinds of things that never got to my finish line. But what happened over time, one of the lessons I learned in my, for myself was to believe. And early on, I had doubts like, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I maybe could do a couple, but gosh, you know, Pennsylvania is kind of hilly and the season goes on and gets tougher and um, not sure what's going to happen to my body. You know, um, dad had a heart attack at 60, even though I had a cardiologist tell me my heart was fine. Uh, you just never know when you're, you're trained like that and going hard all the time. So you always had those doubts in your mind. But by the time I got to um, after Pennsylvania, those doubts were gone because that was a hard course for me. It was really hilly. And here in Indiana, the only hills I have are going up and down the stairs to my second floor. We don't have <laughs> hills here in Indiana. We're flat right. as could be. So to go to Pennsylvania and they use the word mountain to us, I'm like, what do you mean? I got to change cassettes and all these things. Now I got to figure this out because I can't use my flat cassettes to survive out there. So um, the big lesson that I'll, I'll share with your, your listeners is that 
um, you got to believe. You got to believe in your training. You got to believe what you're doing, uh, your plan. Things are going to change. But that really helped me. Once I got the confidence, I can do this. I can do all six. Um, and it was a big step for me personally. And I really, I think I grew as a person as a result because I faced some things that were a huge challenge. I wrote a plan, uh, executed on it. And when I was done, I'm like, oh my gosh, as a human being, I think I have more capacity myself to do some amazing things for the rest of my life. And 60 is just kind of the turning point where I thought for a long time, my family tree says 60, okay, well, you're pretty much done, hmm. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> that's the way it is on my family tree. Uh, but now I've got this renewed hope thanks to the challenge I put myself through uh, my all my years in triathlon that I don't know what's in store for you for the future, but I'm excited about it. And I'm very grateful that I did this challenge um, because now it gave me a new set of beliefs I didn't have before because you just kind of like cruise through life, right? Until you really challenge yourself. And Matt, you probably notice the coach you see it with your athletes. Like eventually they have these breakthrough moments. Well, I had a breakthrough moment, even at 60. It's like, man, I can still kick butt and go out there and do some things. And that makes me feel pretty good about, you know, what I can do as a person. Well, you, you definitely did kick butt. <laughs> it's not the body, it's the mind, you know? Yeah. I mean, you had six races, six podiums, a personal best. You killed it, <laughs> to say the least, versus your traditional season. What did you really have to focus on as the, the, the plan? What did you change to, to make sure you could do that? that that's, that's a great question. Um, and it was because the, the word I'll give you is recovery. Recovery is everything. And you know what? I learned that in a whole new way this year. And as an athlete, I'll never forget this. And I think I knew it. But when you string them back to back like that and you ask your body to do some pretty hard things, where you create a lot of inflammation in your body and needs to recover. Man, I had to teach myself how to really recover, recover quickly and um, come back ready to go in literally two or three weeks. Um, and it was a it was an effort in kind of a... We had a plan, if we will, but it was also like, how's the body feel? You know, what do you feel like doing? I and mean, there's some staples you got to do, like you got to move. You got to get the lactic acid out of your body, right? You can't just sit around. But when you're in a car for nine hours coming back from a race, guess what happens? <laughs> it's the worst thing ever for your body. You're just sitting there just getting, um, it's just not good. So a good Epsom salt bath me when I get home and just sitting there and just get the magnesium back in the muscles and move for a couple of days. You know, that was really key. The first week was just kind of, Assess the body, you know, move a little bit, get in the pool. Um, you know, I wouldn't really run till maybe Thursday or Friday. Um, Friday was always kind of like an off day for me. Monday was an off day. This is the way I uh, scheduled things. The weekend, I tried to put a pretty good block in. Uh, the following week was a really good block with a lot of zone two and some good efforts in there. Because um, the pencil was already sharp the way I, I kind of looked at it. I just didn't want to break the pencil, right? That was kind of my philosophy. In um, the weekend, the before I'd go off for a taper week, you know, I'd put in a nice long bike ride and run. <clears throat> and then Monday was off. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday was taper. And Friday, you're at the race and you're ready to go again. It was just kind of like rinse and repeat after a while. And it worked, you know. And for some reason, I got a little bit better. I got more confident, you know, has a nice PR in there along the way, which was a nice surprise. So it worked. Yeah. You know, you also can't discount 20 years of built up uh, fitness. Right. And I think that that's got to be a big part of it. And I I bring that up mostly because I I do think some people bite off more than they can chew going from couch to Ironman. And I'd much rather work with an athlete and explain, hey, take a couple of years to build to that. You'll have a much longer enjoyment of the sport than potentially one and done. Uh, but, you know, maybe that's their goal. It was one and done. But 
Let me, let me give you a little step back to your comment there, Jay. So think about 2019 pre-COVID when I had my bike wreck and I strained my PCL and they said that if I could run again, COVID was a blessing for me because I had to go through a year of, of training and, and PT just to be able to run again because they said, you just can't, you're done, right? But then I started, to your point, I started doing sprints because that's what I could do. Put some Olympics in there, you know, go to age group nationals or whatever, just try and do some Olympics. And I slowly built up from 2000, 2001, 2002, that progression. So it, it's in a few years, I kind of got myself back because I really had to start over. And 2023 was was the lighting of the candle, so to speak. So, yeah, I just didn't get off the couch in, in October of last year and say, OK, I'm going to do this thing and just do it out of nowhere. No, to your point, it takes time to build a body so it has the strength to do that um, and recover. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Mike, um, so I want to know what were the six races and about how long in between them did you have? And then what were was either your favorite or best story? And then what was maybe a lesson that you learned? No, that's a great question. So Chattanooga was the first one. It's always the benchmark of the year for us. We go down to Chattanooga in you know third week of, of uh, May and you can find out how was your training? <laughs> did you train properly or not? Um, love Chattanooga. It's a it's a great course. Um, the next one was um, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's a non Ironman race. They do a great job up there doing a seventy point three. Uh, that was actually on my birthday. So the highlight for me is my family came up, and I had a whole crazy family there. They had this big um, head of myself on a stick and running around, you know, chasing after me and and signs and all kind of stuff and. Um, just enjoyed the race, uh, having my family there. My brothers were there and their family was there. And it was just a great way to celebrate my 60th. So that was clearly a highlight for me. I can't say anything better than that. That was yeah. phenomenal. And that um, was in June then? or That was June 11th, yeah. Okay, yep. So three weeks apart, to your question. They were all generally about three weeks apart. Okay. And then I went to Pennsylvania. Um, I don't know if you had any, you guys had any athletes who went to Pennsylvania or not, but that was the inaugural race. I was there at the Happy Valley. Yes, that was there. Happy Valley. Yep. The hills on the bike gobbled me up and I fizzled out. <laughs> but uh, boy, yeah. what a finish in Beaver Stadium. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely a highlight. Yeah, the, the run the run was crazy. It had rained actually on us on the bike on that day. So um, we weren't quite sure because that was the first time we had a speed limit on the backside of the mountain, if you remember that, Jay. Yep, yep. So they told us we couldn't go up 25 miles an hour. So, you know, we got the top started going down. It was raining and my brakes, of course, were not working too well because I didn't have disc brakes. So I had the carbon wheels and those brakes never work well in the rain. So we're trying just to not uh, go above 25 miles an hour. Um, but... Yeah, yeah, little trick there. <laughs> yeah, small trick there, but I'm glad they did because if you had been flying, it would not have been a happy ending at the bottom. For of that. sure, yeah. Um, not to make a pun on Happy Valley, yeah. but it would not have been a happy ending. But <laughs> hard right turn, um, hard right turn. But your point though, to turn to turn at Penn State and turn into the stadium and run into the end zone and see yourself on the big screen and run to the Ironman finish line on the football field. If your listeners don't put that in their bucket list, they're missing out because that's a fantastic race. It's a two transition stop, which is unique for me. I've never done that one before. Uh, but at the end of the day, what a great venue for a race. Uh, couldn't highly recommend it more for someone if you want to make the drive to go see that. It's right around 4th of July, which is always a family time. But, man, <clears throat> I'll go back at some point. That was awesome. Un I don't know if it's unspoken, but many 
venues, hotels are tough to find, but not in State College because the amount of people they prepare for football games. There are hotels galore and you can be within two miles of, of the football stadium and and it's very convenient, even though it's the two transition race. So, yeah, I second yeah. that, it, it's, especially since it they, they had some bugs that worked out, but it's going to get better year after year for sure. Sure. I think the ice cream after the end of the race was the best. <laughs> it's, it's a <laughs> oh, good nice. deal. It's a good deal. That was I haven't awesome. had ice cream after a race. <laughs> yeah. And you had a choice, chocolate or vanilla or something, didn't you? You didn't you had choices. So all oh, that's good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and then I had uh, Ohio. And that was three weeks later, July 23rd. And, um, you know, that's close to home here for, for me. So going up there to uh, Sandusky was close. So um, that was my PR race, which was kind of a surprise. Um, swim in Lake Erie is always interesting to begin with, but you're glad to get out of that water. And uh, the bike and, and the runner flat. But you know what, what? What amazed me that day, and I still can't figure it out, is I looked down at my heart rate, and it's 10 beats lower than any other race I've been in. And I'm like, my power's up. My heart rate's low. What is going on? It's July. It's hot out here. This is going to be a good day, right? Um, so I just rode within myself, and my son Thomas was there uh, supporting me. And the run is kind of a zigzag through the neighborhood, so he could kind of go parallel and catch me. And um, I just felt really good that day. I don't know. if you, I'm sure you've had one of those days where, like, everything's coming together. It's like, this is feeling great. And it was just one of those days. And I remember about mile eight, you know, I'm, I'm like, uh, Thomas, what position am I in? He's like, you're in this place. Your guy's up here. Go get him. And, and I told him, I said, Thomas, I want you to yell at me one word the rest of the race, and it's believe. I want you to yell, believe, Dad, believe. Because at that point, after Pennsylvania, I had this fire in me like, I have to believe in my training. I have to believe that I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I feel great. I'm not going to fall apart. I'm not getting injured. I'm going to do this six for 60, right? And it was just that mental click clicked in as we talk to coaches tell us all the time, you got to believe, you got to think, right? Well, all of a sudden I experienced it and I believed and I was telling my son, tell me to believe that I can run harder and I can go faster, right? I can break through. And it was that breakthrough moment for like 40 years I've been doing this right triathlons but this is like the moment i finally had right i really got seriously uncomfortable because i felt fantastic right everything was coming together and <clears throat> just sprinted to the finish and had this great yelling scream at the finish line and just did this crazy dance that came out of nowhere <laughs> and just one of those moments in your life that i stood on both my toes i just screamed atop my lungs and people thought i was nuts when i did that but it was like this roar came out of me i'm like where did this come from <laughs> Uh, but it was just an explanation point on my year and my career at uh, doing triathlon. So I was real grateful for that one. So it's so it's inspiring. Awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I'll close real quick. I'll, I, I don't want to take too long on all these races, but uh, I did. Michigan has another called the Midi uh, race. It's a local race. It's a 70.3. That was uh, three weeks later, maybe four weeks later, August uh, 13th. And then did Michigan uh, three weeks later, Michigan 70.3 this year when the water was at 57 degrees. It was really cold uh, for that swim this year. It was quite refreshing. Uh, and then my wife couldn't make Michigan this year because she had a conflict, and that was number six. So she came to me and said, could you do one more? <laughs> like, what? She goes, well, you know, you like Muncie, and it's two weeks away, and the weather looks good because you never know in Indiana what you're going to get with the weather, right, in late September. Last year was miserable, but this year the weather was good. And I'm like, okay, I'll try. Yeah, why not? It's only two weeks apart from Michigan. Um, so I entered just out of I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, and guess what? It happened. Um, I blew up. It was my body was 
really struggling on the run. Done. Once he has a rolling bike, a run course and it, you know, I came off the bike and I looked at my wife and my two boys were there. I'm like, you guys got to pray for me because the wheels are coming <laughs> off. I'm already cramping. This is not going to be good. Um, and sure enough, you know, I got through it, but it was what I call the victory lap race. So that's um, awesome. Anyway, that was my, that was my summer. Does your, does your wife, um, do them as well? Or she just likes cheering you on? She loves cheering me on and she is officially, as she will tell you, checked the box and did her one sprint. Okay. <laughs> good, say good, she, nice. she is a triathlete. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. She was, a, she couldn't have done it without her this year. So if, I'm sorry, I haven't mentioned that, but my wife, Debbie, was a huge supporter for me and my training and cooking for me and being there by my partner and by my side. So clearly, um, great to have her in my corner supporting me this year. So that, how could I not do one more uh, for yes. her? That's, That's awesome. One other thing you mentioned uh, about this journey was about having your son there. And I know a big part of your life, I think, uh, has also been getting your kids into the sport of triathlon um, and really getting them to be part of that journey as well. So at what age did they start getting into the sport and how has that been? It sounds like your dad was a swimmer. You as a triathlete, you never got to race with your dad, but how cool is it to get to race with your son? Oh, it's super cool. Both my boys, Thomas and James, went through the youth elite program at USA Triathlon. Thomas was out of Boulder for a while doing some training when he was considering if he wanted to do that full time or not. And those boys were both great athletes in their own right. So uh, at that stage, to be able to go out and, you know, train with them, race with them. And, you know, it all started. We have a great community here where we have a local, like I mentioned, uh, Kids Try for Kids series that um, that I'm part of. That We've been doing this for, gosh, 13 years. We've had thousands of kids go through it. So my boys went through it. They got triathlon bug through that. So it's just a good example of getting kids involved early uh, when they kind of have a little bit of experience, maybe some swimming and some biking on their own, but to give them you know, a local series to go through. We had a local triathlon uh, team for, for kids that really wanted to go to the next level. Um, and that was a, a program. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but um, we had some really good athletes come out of that now that are internationally uh, known. Some are on Project Podium. Uh, some girls are out uh, racing on the college level. So we've been fortunate to have um, some kids come through the program, through the Try for Kids series program and, and kind of move on. Um, so it's been kind of cool to see that. And something I, quite frankly, I want to go back and do because I think there's an opportunity now. Uh, now that triathlon has said this is a priority for him, uh, I'd love to be part of that because in Indiana, we've got the great, uh, culture here of triathlon, but really nothing left for kids anymore. We've got a few things, but there's an opportunity to develop that. Yeah. Yeah. Our most recent, one of our more recent episodes, we had Tim Yount on who, uh, you know, CEO of USA Triathlon talking about what a big initiative right now youth is. And, uh, you know, they were gauging interest and they're looking for volunteers. So if that's something that's close to your heart, I would encourage you to reach out and especially, you know, having some experience working with your own boys. I know they're looking, definitely looking for help out there. So that, that'd be great to give back. So now sure. did your boys start, uh, I'm assuming with their grandfather being, a swimmer and you being a triathlete, did you get them in the pool pretty young for them to be at such high level triathletes? Ah, good question. So yeah, here in, here in Carmel, we have a great swimming community. And so there was a Brookshire swim club, a local swim club with an outdoor pool and they got involved in that and started swimming. Uh, then they got in Carmel swim club, uh, which is clearly one of the bigger swim clubs in the country. They've had a lot of success. And so they started swimming there and, and getting that kind of a base from a swimming perspective. And they swam all the way until high school. Um, 
And then pups running is like a local elementary school thing where they expose them in elementary school to have like an after school, like a jogging thing. And then on the weekends, they'd have some some races. So before you know it, the kids are getting exposed in the community to these things. All kids loved riding a bike. So it's just a puzzle you put together. And like, okay, I want to do that too, right? And that's how it went. So cool. Mike, I, I definitely am going to post to the Triloco blog that told the story about your 6 for 60 challenge. So I think that's a really great write-up if people have more interest in looking at the details of that as well. Mike, what does this year look like for you? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. <clears throat> so you could only imagine how my body felt after doing all these races when the adrenaline uh, kind of cuts off. And you, my daughter got married in, in uh, October, so I had a little time off and enjoyed it and, and kind of settled down without a lot of training. All of a sudden, my body went like, oh, what's going on here, right? Uh, and I started feeling the aching pains that I kind of pushed off because I had some back issues going on, some other things that I quite frankly had to address. So, uh, and I hadn't been lifting a lot. Uh, so I have I had to get back in the gym and lift again because as you get older you have to lift uh, and I neglected that that was a huge miss for me this year so in uh, November I got back in the gym and started lifting started going to the doctor on my back to get that figured out which is all, all in the right direction now um, so for this year to answer your question my goal this year is to create a foundation of wellness hmm. that's my goal I like uh, that nutrition recovery sleep um, just get my body feeling better again because last year it wasn't you know. There's, there's stuff that I did to my body for sure. You know, my chiropractor says my heart's fine. Um, but, you know, there's some soreness in there. And I don't want to go out there and hammer it again uh, and do anything that might be long term. So uh, my purpose, maybe it's because my daughter got married and I see grandkids maybe down the road someday <laughs> that 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 I think as a triathlete, I get, you know, myself, you get caught up in the training plan. But sometimes you forget about the nutrition part and all the inflammation that happens in your body and how you got to give it time to kind of really clean things out and recover. So that's why I say, you know what, I'm not going to have any super pressing other than maybe a couple of things on the calendar. Um, but I want to create a foundation of wellness for myself that will then hopefully bridge me to more time in the sport. Yeah, that's Love excellent. No, but But I did sign up for Oregon, though. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> I did. I will see you there. Yes. yes. I just got to get my bike there. Okay. Well, if I could find a way to let you borrow my bike box, but unfortunately, (laughs) I'd have to get it to you first. But Well, and and I'll I'll also mention this. So we have quite the chat group going on uh, on my phone with among all of us. And when races come out, it's like the double dog dare you to to sign up for a race. And if you don't sign up for your like, it's like, hey, you're the only one left. Are you going <laughs> to sign up for Louisville 70.3? It's the brand new one. You got to do it, right? Uh-huh. So guess what? I'm now signed up for Louisville 70.3 too. So, oh my goodness. Um, they're on the calendar. Let's just see if my body gets there. So I'm just, if there I get there, this will be just a fun year for me. So That'll probably be a big Triloco race down there with that uh, Louisville group. Um, I know another guy down there with Triloco, Reggie Garcia. Um, I don't know if you know Reggie. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, he's a good guy. So Love um, Reggie. Uh, oh yeah. So he's quite the bourbon connoisseur. That was kind of our common love language that got him and I talking was our passion for bourbon. So, yeah. That's something I had to give up during the the training this summer. (laughs) Yeah. Did not work. I learned I could not sleep well my age. You know, bourbon, don't sleep, don't recover, can't get up at five o'clock and train. So had to put bourbon on the back shelf. I don't miss it. I don't don't (laughs) really... Well, okay, so I'm not a bourbon fan, so I should declare. Of course, I don't miss bourbon. I'm with you, Julian. (laughs) But I did, you know, like I would say a couple years ago, I did. I used to drink. I know Matt's several listeners. Matt showing his nice stash behind me. Yeah, massive collection right behind him. But 
Um, I mean, I used to be like a, you know, glass or two of wine a night type of person, um, you know, because it was good for you and whatnot. But actually I, I stopped, I stopped doing that and, um, I feel better. I go back and I have one and it's like, Oh man, that's kind of kicks my butt a little bit now. So I, I don't, I don't miss that feeling. I mean, I'll still maybe entertain one or two if I'm hanging out with Matt or, you know, out socially occasionally, but, but otherwise it's just not part of that daily or every other day routine anymore. And it feels good actually. No, I 100% agree. I mean, it's just part of just the recovery if, if you will. I mean, I go back, I don't sleep as well. My body doesn't feel as recovered. I mean, I'll go three, six months without having a single drink. And then all of a sudden I might have a glass of bourbon on a Saturday night. And it reminds me why I don't drink during my big training blocks, uh, you know, disruptive sleep, feel a little sluggish the next day. I can't find that second or third gear. And, uh, I had a buddy that was like, Oh, you just got to do it every night. Then you won't know the difference. I was like, Oh my God, you're missing the point. You know, I was like, I don't think that solves the problem, but who knows, you know? It's a great post-race drink. And then yes. after that, you know, I'd have one or two after a race and then I'd be asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's yeah. what gets you to sign up for the next race, right, Mike? I mean, isn't that how the uh, six for 60 came about was, I think you said <laughs> while we were celebrating over a few drinks, <laughs> yes. this great idea came up. Yeah. Yeah. That's how the best <laughs> ideas are found, right? Absolutely. We have established that for sure on this podcast. That has come up many times. <laughs> well, Mike, I mean, after you've had a lot of longevity in this sport, you've already alluded to a couple of your secret sauces as far as recovery um, and just kind of being able to pivot and adapt. Any other tidbits out there that you would give people? I mean, you've been competing since 1985. Um, you've talked about having fun, being able to adapt and pivot and change your goal and focusing on recovery. But any other kind of last minute takeaways that you would want to share with people that are getting into the sport or that have been in for it a while and are contemplating maybe hanging up the goggles, the running shoes, or uh, putting the bike up? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say... <clears throat> One of the lessons I learned last year is moving to more of a clean diet, um, getting rid of the processed stuff. Because what I realized, and it's taken me a long time to get here when I had the opening comments about my Domino's pizza that I love with the pepperoni on it and a quarter Coke. Man, that's a disaster, <laughs> especially at 10 o'clock at night. But those are great back then in college, right? I could do it. Yeah. But what I've learned is, you know, if I put in a big training block, see, I look at training like a sponge, you know, I could pour training into the sponge. I want the training to be absorbed in the sponge, right? And I don't want to pour out the other side. So if I do the right things, the sponge could grow potentially, right? And can do more. And part of that comes with the right stuff I'm putting in the sponge from a nutritional point of view. And all it means that when I'm sleeping at night, I've got to recover. And if I'm digesting a big, you know, 16 ounce pizza, for example, which is not always the case, I'm spending time digesting food and I'm not getting better, you know, from a training perspective, right? Um, so that's the, probably the biggest thing I learned this year was to give my body time to have really good sleep and try not to eat really late and eat really good clean foods and let my body absorb the training, like the sponge analogy, and let it get stronger and faster. And that's probably the one reason that I think I did so well this year and could recover is because my recovery process was nailed down to a T uh, from the minute I finished the race to tapering to the next race. And it was the food, it was the nutrition, it was, you know, all the little things I did. I did a, a, a infrared spa <clears throat> a couple of times a week. I get in there in that 130 degree heat and I just move around and I'm trying to stay hydrated, but just the little things you got to do to listen to your body 
you can get obsessed about the data, but at the end of the day, just listen to your body, give it what it needs. It's amazing what your body can do if you just give it what it's designed to do. Hundred percent. Love that analogy of training with the sponge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, this has been awesome having you share your journey and share, you know, the last twenty plus years in the sport and reminding everybody that age is just a number and with the right focus on recovery and wellness and longevity, you can reach your dreams at the age of 60 and even go above what you thought was possible. I love that you've got an upcoming focus on wellness. I think that's something that resonates. I know it resonates with myself and I'm sure with a lot of our listeners as well. And making sure that if you've got some pretty ambitious goals coming up this year or um, many races on that list, uh, listen to Mike's advice and make sure that you build in that recovery. And thank you so much for your time with us today. This has been super fun to hear, as well as the, you know, the focus on the community. And I think being a part of Triloco, right, also resonated uh, with me and finding your tribe out there and getting involved uh, with the community and back into the sport, too. So to our listeners, if you have a story that you want to share with us, you can always email us at triathlonagegroupjourney at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at Triathlon Age Group Journey. So thank you again for listening. And Matt, Jay, Mike, I wish you guys all the best upcoming week and season ahead. I hope you have a great one. Thanks, Jim. Right. Thanks, everybody. Mike, thanks again. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good week. Bye.